Welcome back for episode three of Talk and Trade, a podcast where we explore the ins and outs of Section 337 investigations at the U.S. International Trade Commission. I'm Matt Rizzolo, and with me today are my fellow Ropes and Gray IP attorneys, Matt Shapiro, Catherine Thornton, and Brendan McLaughlin. How's everyone doing? Great, thanks. Doing pretty well. Doing well, Matt. Great to join y'all. Great. Glad to have everyone here. And thanks to all who have been tuning in. For new listeners, you may want to check out episode one of an overview of the ITC uh, or episode two for a discussion on the ITC's domestic industry requirement. Now, because the ITC is a trade agency, after all, it's in the name, it won't get involved in deciding a case unless there's been an importation of something into the United States. And questions surrounding importation are going to be the focus of today's episode. But first, Brendan, what's new at the commission? Thanks, Matt. Uh, so the commission was a little more active in June, especially towards the end of the month. It received three new complaints, instituted two investigations, and it issued a notice in the 1175 investigation, certain bonus months, affirming the ALJ's finding of no trade secret misappropriation and no violation of Section 337 with modified reasoning. And for those of us who rely on the ITC's RSS feed to get notice of new filings, those have been out of service for most of July. So it's been a bit harder to really know what's actually going on at the commission. But fortunately, that seems to be fixed now. Arguably, uh, the most notable ITC development for June that didn't come from an RSS feed or out of the commission at all. Instead, it came from a few blocks away from Congress. On June 15th, 2021, Senators John Cornyn, Chris Coons, and Todd Young introduced the bipartisan Secrets Act of 2021, also known as the Stopping and Excluding Chinese Ripoffs and Exports with United States Trade Secrets Act of 2021. Yet another bill with a backronym, so original. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So this bill would create a special committee at the ITC that would have the power to quickly block imports if they rely on trade secrets misappropriated by a foreign agent. The committee would be chaired by the Attorney General, and the committee's voting membership would comprise at least representatives from Treasury, Homeland Security, Commerce, the Intellectual Property Enforcement Coordinator, and the USTR. The Director of National Intelligence would serve as a non-voting member of the committee. So the committee would primarily decide if import articles contain, were produced using, benefit from, or use any trade secret acquired through improper means or misappropriation by a foreign agent or foreign instrumentality. It would be empowered to review complaints filed by trade secret owners or on its own initiative, any allegations that an article imported or to be imported into the United States misappropriates a trade secret. If the committee decides to proceed with the allegations, it would submit to the ITC a report including those allegations. Perhaps the most unique aspect of the bill is the incredibly fast mandated pace. Within 30 days of receiving a committee report, commission would conduct an ex parte preliminary review to determine whether there's a reasonable indication the article is more likely than not a covered article. If the ITC finds that it would be more likely than not that a trade secret was misappropriated, then it must issue an order excluding the concerned articles and notify the president of its determination. Then, within 150 days, the commission must conduct an ex parte in-depth investigation, which may include a hearing. So th there's a lot in this bill and still many unanswered questions, including whether or how an importer whose products are implicated 
might be able to dispute any accusations before the commission. Matt, do you have any further thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my first impression is that this bill is largely redundant of the ITC's existing authority under Section 337. And I'll put in a shameless plug here for an article that uh, Brendan and I wrote along with one of our colleagues, Nicole Pobra, on, uh, in Law 360 that was just published. And we noted in there, the ITC may already conduct investigations into trade secret misappropriation, either based upon private party complaints uh, or on its own initiative. And Section 337 specifically contemplates that the commission conducts investigations consulting with other agencies such as the DOJ. But what stands out in this bill is the idea that just 30 days after receiving a complaint, the ITC would issue what's effectively a temporary exclusion order pending a full in-depth investigation. That is extremely rare under current law. But, you know, finally, in terms of politics, I doubt that this bill will go far. While it, it might garner some support since it specifically targets Chinese trade secret misappropriation, ITC-related bills really haven't received much congressional interest over the past decade, despite having a handful of them being introduced. But if it does, you know, it could certainly add to the commission's pact and increasing docket. So we'll keep monitoring this bill and whether it gains any traction uh, in this Congress or perhaps in the future. So thanks for the update, Brendan. Last month, uh, we covered the ITC's unique domestic industry requirement. And as I mentioned on today's episode, we're going to dive into another aspect of Section 337 that, that differs from district court litigation, the necessity that there's an importation into the United States before the ITC will get involved. And as part of that, we'll also talk about how the ITC and the Federal Circuit have grappled with the import, pardon the pun, of an awkward phrase in the statute, quote, articles that infringe. So Matt, where does the importation requirement come from? This is a requirement straight out of Section 337. Uh, Section 337 prohibits unfair methods of competition and unfair acts in the importation of articles into the United States. Now, for statutory IP claims, this would include patents, copyrights, and federally registered trademarks. Section 337 gets more specific, prohibiting the importation into the United States, the sale for importation, or the sale within the United States after importation by the owner, importer, consignee of articles that infringe statutory IP rights. Now, this is a jurisdictional requirement. The ITC is a trade agency, and it has jurisdiction over imported articles. If there isn't an importation, then the ITC just doesn't have jurisdiction. And the reason for this is that the ITC has jurisdiction over articles rather than the respondents to the action. Now, this is a key distinction between the ITC's in-rem jurisdiction over the imported articles compared with the district court's in-personum jurisdiction over the defendants to the action. Put simply, Without importation, a complainant is out of luck at the ITC and must instead seek the assistance of the relevant country's court. Practically, if we're in the United States and the alleged conduct is wholly domestic, a complainant's best bet is to seek the assistance of a federal district court. Yeah, and this is a critical point. A lot of potential complainants may want to use the ITC as an alternative forum to litigate disputes or, or escalate them, especially given the ITC's fast pace. But a respondent must 
actually have imported or sold for importation or sold after importation the products at issue in the investigation. And what you just said, Matt, hits on another key concept. There must be an importation of a product. That is, there must be an importation of an article that is a physical, tangible good. Now, we've mentioned importation a couple of times in our past episodes, but we haven't discussed that Section 337 requires importation of articles. And the precise definition of articles came before the Federal Circuit a few years ago in ClearCorrect v. ITC. There, the accused articles were digital models and data relating to orthodontics, and they were being transmitted electronically from Pakistan to the United States. There was nothing physical crossing the border. The Commission had concluded that articles included this intangible digital data. So cross-border electronic transmissions could be importations. But the Federal Circuit reversed, holding that articles means material things. And this is based both on the literal text and statutory scheme of Section 337. Note that while the Federal Circuit found electronically transmitted data are not an article, the Federal Circuit did recognize that data imported on a physical medium, such as a compact disc or thumb drive, may still satisfy jurisdictional requirement of an imported article. Yeah, the clear correct decision is really an interesting read, and in particular, Judge Newman's dissent. She had sided with the commission's view and argued that in today's digital economy, Section 337 really must evolve with the time and consider digital or electronic transmissions of data as articles. But ultimately, she was alone and garnered no support uh, when she also dissented from the court's denial to rehear the case on bonk. So moving forward, physical articles must be imported for the ITC to have jurisdiction. Right. But while there must be an importation of these physical articles under the current law, even a small quantity of physical goods will satisfy the importation requirement. For example, importation of a single accused product is enough to satisfy the importation requirement and give the ITC jurisdiction. Yeah, I think that's important. You mentioned compact discs earlier. And if if in that case, there had been an importation of software on a compact disc and also electronic transmissions there, the ITC would have had jurisdiction over the whole case and probably could have issued the appropriate remedy. Now, there's also one other important statutory category, situations where there's been a sale for importation. Matt, can you explain that? Sure. A good place to start when explaining the meaning of sale for importation is the 376 investigation. That's variable speed wind turbines. There, the commission found that the phrase sale for importation includes a situation in which a contract for goods has been formed under the UCC. And since the ITC found that there was a clear intent by the parties to enter into a contract for sale of the article at issue there, there was a sale for importation. And then on appeal, the Federal Circuit and Entercon v. ITC affirmed the Commission's findings and interpretation of Section 337. More recently, in the 887 investigation, this is crawler cranes, the ALJ found that respondents sold for importation into the United States an infringing article because that respondent had entered into a contract for the future purchase of the infringing article. Relying upon the Federal Circuit's opinion in Entercon, the Commission found that a contract for sale, which can cover the sale of future goods, constitutes a sale for importation and confers jurisdiction on the Commission. Further, the Commission's decision indicated that the Commission would find 
that a contract for sale of an article that was not yet even manufactured could constitute a sale for importation. Therefore, the Commission found there was a sale for importation, and this holding clarified that even where a respondent does not itself import goods, but instead knowingly sells the goods abroad for importation, it is still subject to the ITC's jurisdiction. Yeah, that's right. The respondent that sold the goods for importation into the U.S., you know, knowing that it's going to be bound for the U.S., can't simply say, hey, I didn't import it, and then point the finger at the party that actually imported the goods into the U.S. So they, they might still be subject to ITC jurisdiction there. So that leaves the, the final category of, of importation-related uh, elements here, sale within the United States after importation. That's right. Here, simply selling an accused article after importation, even if you didn't import the product into the country, could subject you to the ITC's jurisdiction. The ITC has interpreted this language fairly broadly to cover a variety of domestic commercial transactions. In recent years, there have been a couple of cases seeking to include leasing or renting products after importation as a sale. Think of, for example, the set-top box you lease from your cable provider. But the ITC hasn't extended the statute that far. Thanks. Yeah. Query whether uh, that lease issue might present an opportunistic entity with a potential loophole to try to avoid ITC jurisdiction. Although, you know, we've seen some entities try to re-import products into the United States that may have been domestically manufactured, exported abroad for repair, and then imported into the U.S. And the ITC in those situations has found that 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 re-importation is still an importation and the ITC has jurisdiction. So now uh, switching gears, as I mentioned earlier, most ITC cases involve patents. And in recent years, we've seen a number of cases addressing questions about the interplay between the importation requirement that we just discussed and the articles that infringe language that I mentioned earlier. So I'll turn the floor over to Catherine here to explain some of the confusion that the ITC has been trying to address. Thanks, Matt. So part of the problem here is that there is a mismatch between how the Patent Act and Section 337 each use the term infringe. While Section 337 speaks of articles that infringe a patent, the Patent Act talks about infringement by people or entities making, using, selling, or importing a patented invention. This presents some interesting questions. How does one import an article that infringes? Can an article ever infringe a method or process claim? Until 2011, the ITC solved this dilemma by requiring ITC claimants to demonstrate a nexus or connection between the alleged act of infringement and importation. Claimants could establish nexus by showing direct infringement by the importer or even a purchaser of the imported goods. Then in 2011, the commission clarified in certain electronic devices, the 724 investigation, that merely showing some nexus between an act of infringement and the importation of an article does not satisfy the post-1988 version of Section 337. The commission reasoned that because the post-1988 statute now expressly defines the relevant unfair acts to be importation, sale for importation, and sale after importation of articles that infringe U.S. patents, there can be no violation if the articles do not infringe when imported. Specifically, the commission found that importing a device, an Apple computer, that is then used in the United States to perform a patented method, 
does not constitute a violation of section 337 because the claimant had not proved infringement of the method claim at the time of importation. Yeah, that's that's right. The commission's opinion in electronic devices appeared to narrow the scope of infringing conduct that could be addressed by the ITC. And this was much to the surprise of many ITC practitioners at the time. So you know, given that was about a decade ago, is electronic devices still good law? Probably not. Actually, both the ITC and the Federal Circuit have issued rulings over the last decade going in the other direction. First, shortly after the commission issued its opinion in electronic devices, the Federal Circuit was grappling with a similar issue in its review of the commission's opinion in biometric scanning devices, the 720 investigation, and came out with its landmark uh, decision in Suprema versus ITC. The Federal Circuit's en banc decision in Suprema, which, which, as you mentioned, stemmed from the 720 investigation, is perhaps the most significant ITC case of the 2010s and is worth discussing in some detail here. So can you walk us through that? Yeah, for those who are unfamiliar with the facts of the 720 investigation, uh, the article at issue, a fingerprint scanner sold by Suprema, one of the respondents, uh, did not infringe prior to importation. Instead, the imported scanners infringed the asserted patent only after the other respondent, Menelix, who purchased and imported the goods, added particular software to control and operate the scanner. After finding direct infringement by Menelix and induced infringement by Suprema, the commission concluded that the findings of direct and induced infringement by the respondents were sufficient for a finding of a violation of Section 337 by each. The commission's decision was ultimately reviewed en banc in 2015 by the Federal Circuit, which examined whether importation of articles that do not directly infringe at the time of importation but when used in the United States by one respondent directly infringed the asserted patent at the inducement of another respondent are unfair trade acts covered by Section 337. In its analysis, the court, in opinion issued by Judge Reyna, who was a trade lawyer before becoming a judge, explored the inherent tension between the language of Section 337 and the Patent Act. Ultimately, the court deferred to the commission's interpretation of articles that infringe to cover goods that were used by an importer to directly infringe post-importation as a result of the seller's inducement. So that sounds like a really particular circumstance. I mean, does Suprema only apply in that narrow situation where the importer is liable for inducement and the downstream purchaser directly infringes, or is there sort of broader reasoning that can come from the case that Section 337 can reach articles that are only capable of infringing after importation. The Federal Circuit took another look at this issue last year in Comcast versus ITC, but it did not fully resolve the question. In the underlying case, the commission found that Comcast customers directly infringed certain patents when using Comcast's set-top boxes, and that Comcast induced that infringement. However, the commission also found that the companies that imported the set-top boxes did not contributorily infringe because the set-top boxes did not infringe at the time of importation and had substantial non-infringing uses. So there, unlike Suprema, the actual importers, the entities bringing the products across the border, were not involved in the infringement. On appeal, Comcast asserted that it was not subject to Section 337 because these articles were non-infringing upon importation and that it was not an importer. 
The federal circuit plainly stated the commission correctly held that section 337 applies to articles that infringe after importation. The federal circuit also affirmed the commission's uh, determination that Comcast was an importer under section 337, including because it was intimately involved with the design, manufacture, and importation, meaning that just as in Suprema, the importer of the ultimately infringing goods induced the infringement. Both Comcast and Suprema reflect the federal circuit and the ITC's view that section 337 is a statute that broadly allows the ITC to combat every type and form of unfair trade practice. Jurisdictional loopholes are going to be pretty rare. I'll note that ultimately the Supreme Court denied Comcast cert petition in the uh, Comcast v. ITC case. And I'll offer a requisite disclaimer that Ropes and Gray represented uh, the complainant, Rovi, in that case. So, Catherine, how has the commission dealt with articles that are, you know, quote, non-infringing at the time of importation since Suprema and the, the Federal Circuit's decision in Comcast? In the 1116 investigation, certain blood cholesterol strips, the commission applied its understanding that the federal circuit has twice repudiated a time of importation requirement to find section 337 violation for infringement that occurred after importation. So the commission found that ACON's imported test strips and meters that when used according to directions provided by ACON infringed the asserted method patents were articles that infringe under section 337. Perhaps most relevant to our discussion, the commission explicitly confirmed that to the extent its opinion in electronic devices was interpreted to mean that there is a time of importation requirement in section 337, that determination was effectively overruled by Suprema, Comcast, and the commission's decision in the 1116 investigation. All right. Well, we're continuing to see questions arise at the edges of what constitutes an article that infringes under Section 337. And in fact, the commission recently issued a notice that it was reviewing in part a final initial determination in the 1194 investigation, which is certain high density fiber optic equipment involving a complaint from Corning. There the commission requested responses from the parties relating to whether there was a nexus between the imported article at issue there and the alleged unfair acts of patent infringement. But it was notable to me, at least, that the commission adopted that nexus language, despite what it said in 1116 that Catherine just discussed. And it, and it posed some questions for the parties to brief. You know, for one, would it be appropriate for the commission to consider whether there's a sufficient nexus between the imported article and the alleged unfair acts in reaching its determination of whether there's a violation of section 337. Similarly, the commission's wondering whether it would be appropriate for it to consider uh, certain factors, whether the imported article is a material part of the claimed invention, whether it's especially designed or configured for use in an infringing manner, whether it has substantial non-infringing uses, and to what extent, if at all, the imported article is modified or combined with other articles after importation into the US. And those obviously 
have some echoes of the contributory infringement um, and, and inducement standards from the Patent Act. So in, in 1194, the parties have completed briefing, and, and I think it'll be interesting to see if and whether the commission continues to nibble around the edges of what, uh, what constitutes articles that infringe or do not infringe at the time of importation. So with that, that's all the time that we have for this episode three of Talk and Trade. Thanks everyone for being here. And as always, we appreciate feedback from our listeners. So if there's a topic that you would like to hear more about, or if you have ideas for other ways to improve this podcast, please let us know. You can find Talk and Trade and other Ropes and Gray podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or ropesgray.com slash podcasts. Until next time, I'm Matt Rizzolo, and on behalf of Matt Shapiro, 